the murder mystery podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? On the murder mystery podcast, it's The Parisian Contract. Episode 13. The moonlight drifts in silently from the dark sky and onto the light wooden blinds that hang at each of the three windows in the narrow room. Outside, the streets are tranquil, radiating the heat of the August day that ended a few hours before. What can be seen of the bedroom is bathed in the blue hue of the night. Jean-Luc lies on his stomach, naked under the sheet that covers him, and sleeping lightly. Constance returns to the bedroom with two glasses of wine, places them on the bedside table, and slips under the covers. Jean, she whispers. He stirs, turns his eyes to her, and smiles. Duvain. Merci, he murmurs, and sits up against the headboard. They lie for minutes, silently enjoying the peace and memories, in a capsule of their affair, the only place they can live out the fantasy of being each other's prime relationship. Eventually, Constance's voice drifts in from the real world. Can I ask you? she says. Hmm? Your avocat. Uh, Olivia? he replies vaguely. Oui. What about her? he says, pulling Constance towards him. She came to see me, says the woman. Did she? She knows about us. I know, he says. You didn't say? Didn't think it was worth it. That someone knows about us. Constance is becoming irritated. She won't tell anyone, says Jean-Luc. We've worked so hard to keep this confidential, Jean. I know, he says. But is it so bad? People knowing? We said it was just our private thing. Has that changed? I'd like to go out to dinner with you occasionally, in public. That wouldn't work for me, she says. Why? We have our careers, Jean. There's too much risk. Eventually, though. Let's just live our lives for today, says Constance, quietly. I never plan what I'm doing. That way I can take advantage of whatever comes up. I don't see it like that, he says. I've always planned my life. My father instilled that in me, I think. I had to be successful. Anything else was unthinkable. Success on whose terms, though, Jean? Your father's? He turns to look at her. The only way to run your life is by setting goals, he says. Otherwise you just drift. It's one way, for sure. I didn't have the advantage that you had with your family. Meaning, she says, spikily. You had the huge benefit of your mother's career when you, you were still a teenager, he says. It was all laid out for you. I have worked all of the hours to build my career, Jean. She is angrier now. I'm not some posh girl who got it all handed to her on a plate. I'm not saying that. You were just well-positioned for a legal career. 
If you think that I have had this success due to my mother's grand achievements, you can go right now. She gets up and takes the sheet with her, leaving him naked on the bed. She takes a packet of cigarettes from her bag, lights one, and stands by the open window, trying to calm down. The smoke billows up towards the sky. She picks a piece of tobacco off the tip of her tongue and takes another deep pull on the cigarette. He rolls from the bed and walks to her side. They stand together, both with slight regrets. They are silent, thinking, but not knowing, what to say next. Olivia knows that she has been putting off trying to see Grace Hartford again for too long. The scene she witnessed on the Rue Montorgueil between Grace and Francine is still a complete mystery to her. None of the questions or outcomes from her whiteboard analysis yesterday can explain why Francine would meet Grace, why Francine would lie about knowing Grace, nor what the document was that Francine was trying to get Grace to sign. She gets up early and goes by taxi to the Glenthrow offices. She takes up a position in the same café that she had sat in the day that she first tried to see Grace, and was unceremoniously turfed out of the building. Olivia orders croissant and an espresso, and settles down to wait. The street is starting to fill up with Parisians. Business people team out of the metro and fan out into their offices. A gendarme chats to a café owner on the corner. An old woman, wearing black, walks three dogs along the pavement, taking up the whole pathway. Olivia looks again at the photo of Grace on her phone, so she can spot her in the crowd. She eats her croissant slowly, needing to keep something on her plate to justify her sitting in the café. Twenty minutes later, Grace appears from the metro station, wearing a black suit. Olivia jumps up and walks out to the roadside, her gaze locked on the woman. The traffic is patchy. Olivia keeps one eye on the road and the other on Grace to time her walk across to the other side of the street. As Grace reaches the Glenthrow entrance, Olivia arrives at the same spot at the same time. Hello, says Olivia. Grace stops, a quizzical look on her face. Did we meet? Olivia Street, says Olivia. Sorry, I don't... Alpha? Grace's face drops. Look, I, I can't talk about it. I just need a few minutes, Miss Hartford. There's nothing to say, says Grace. Can we just have a coffee? I'll be very quick, says Olivia. Grace's eyes drop to the pavement, and she thinks. Five minutes, says Olivia. There's a moment's silence. Then Grace says, Five minutes. They walk across the road to the same café that Olivia was sitting in earlier. Grace doesn't want to sit down outside, and they take a table right at the back of the place, as far from the street as possible. Olivia orders two cappuccinos on the way to their table. Grace sits and audibly sighs before turning her eyes to Olivia. The café is nearly empty. The early morning customers have gone to their offices already. What do you want to know? 
says Grace. Your bid for Alpha, begins Olivia. What was the background? Normal approach we used for M&A, says Grace. Identify targets in the sector, commission analysis, have a board-level debate on the pros and cons. Why Alpha? Profitable for two years, good forecast revenues. We look for growth potential. Like anyone else, says Grace. Did you know about the Montgomery bid? Of course, we do our homework. Had you spoken to the Alpha board? Asks Olivia. That's confidential, says Grace. Did you talk to anyone at Montgomery? That's confidential, she says again. You don't deny it, then? Grace remains silent and widens her eyes. Olivia continues. I want to tell you something, Miss Hartford. Go on. I had a photograph of you, taken with a long-range lens, says the lawyer. Is that your normal business practice? says Grace. I didn't take it. I found it. The COO's face offers no emotional reaction. The picture wasn't of just you, says Olivia. Do you want to change any of your previous answers before I go on? We're not in court, Miss Street. The picture was of you and Jean-Luc Dubois, Montgomery's CEO, she says. Grace says nothing. As you know, information gained about other organisations' trading practice that is not in the public domain is illegal, says Olivia. I do know that. Did you obtain any insider information from Dubois? Is that an accusation? Says Grace coldly. It's a question. I did not obtain any insider information from Jean. No, says Grace. You don't deny that you met him, then? No. Did you have an affair with him? I don't see what my private life has got to do with you, Miss Street. You don't deny it, then, says Olivia. I know Jean, certainly. I know many business people across Europe. Do you know why someone would commit a crime to suppress your relationship with Jean-Luc? Business relationship? Quite, says Olivia. He denies it, though. You'll have to ask him about that, says Grace. I have. Grace's face is still impossible to read. There's something else, too, Olivia continues. Have you met anyone from Carlisle Banking? I don't know that company. Grace's fingers start to tap the table. Then she realises and stops herself. Let me show you a photograph, says Olivia, taking her phone and flicking through the images until she comes across one of Grace and Francine. She turns the phone towards Grace. Here. Grace takes the phone and looks at the picture. Is that you? asks Olivia. Yes. Rumont or Guy, isn't it? That's right. But you were asking about Carlisle Banking, says Grace. Who is the woman you're talking to? That's Inspector Amy Mitchell, says Grace, looking confused. What? says Olivia. Inspector Mitchell of the Fraud Squad from the UK. Olivia takes her phone back to check the picture, and it is of Francine and Grace 
at the cafe table. This is a board member of Carlisle Banking, she says, waving the phone close to Grace's face. Sorry, she showed me her warrant card. Fraud squad, says Grace. Olivia sits. Her brain revs inside her skull. Is Francine a policewoman? Undercover within Carlisle's? Could she be a banker and a detective? What was the document that she was asking you to sign? Says Olivia. An affidavit. Evidence to be used in a court case. Which case? Says Olivia. Subjudice, I'm afraid. Says Grace. Connected to Glenthro? Sorry, I can't tell you. Can you tell me the nature of the affidavit? Asks Olivia. She was asking me to put into writing certain events that I witnessed. Recent events? Yes, but I can't say any more. When did she contact you? A week ago. Phone call. Olivia slots the new data into the 3D model inside her brain, like a floating jigsaw puzzle in midair. Can I change the subject? asks Olivia. Sure, but I really need to go. Of course, just bear with me for a minute, says Olivia. David Malneath, your boss. What about him? says Grace. How is he? Very well, I think. What do you mean? When did you last see him? asks Olivia. Tuesday last week. Is it odd to not hear from him for nearly ten days? she says. Grace shakes her head. He travels quite a lot. Let me guess. You two keep in touch normally, but this time you can't get hold of him, conjectures Olivia. Grace considers what to say, thinks about lying, then doesn't. That's right, she says. Does his office know more? They're just as baffled as I am, says Grace. How did you know that about David? As I said, lucky guess, lies Olivia. Do you know something we don't? asks Grace. My turn to decline to answer, Miss Hartford. You do, then? Grace stares into Olivia's eyes, seeking the truth and not finding it. I can't say. Should I be worried? says Grace. Olivia remains tight-lipped, then, after a second, says, I'll tell you what, Miss Hartford. Grace, please. I'll tell you what, Grace, continues Olivia. I may have some evidence in the next few days on the Alpha bids. If I do find that evidence and it affects you directly, I will give you the opportunity to set the record straight before I go to the authorities. Is that fair? I'm not sure what you do mean, to be honest, says the COO. I haven't been involved with anything illegal. My conscience is clear. Good, then I won't turn up any evidence that bears on you and your role, will I? Can you still tell me what you find? says Grace. I may do, says Olivia, if it affects you directly, but not otherwise. That would be illegal. 
They stand up. Olivia offers her hand, and Grace shakes it. I can help you, Grace, if you're in trouble, says the lawyer. Grace thinks for a second, looks at Olivia, and eventually smiles a business smile without emotion. Can I give you my card? says Olivia. Grace takes it, then turns without another word. Olivia sits back down and tries to take in what she has just heard. She cannot tell whether Grace is honest and caught up in something not of her own making, or a major player in a corruption scandal. She had not denied knowing Jean-Luc, but only as a business colleague. The photo gave away more than that. Olivia doesn't know the date of the photo, so it could have been years ago, but the two of them didn't look much younger. Then she remembers Max's presence, which gives a specific date window. Max started working with Jean-Luc in the last three years. But does that mean the CEO has two lovers, Constance and Grace, as well as his wife? Finally, she concludes that Grace clearly doesn't know about her boss's death. The only link to Malneath is Max, and Olivia needs to know what he discovered, as that is something that people are willing to kill for. Back at the hotel, Olivia gets her laptop and sits on the bed. The information from Grace has been like a torpedo through the previous set of ideas in her mind. She searches for any information about an Inspector Amy Mitchell, but finds nothing. That doesn't surprise her, as she knows that undercover police have their online records removed before they go out in the field. Amy Mitchell is likely a cover name, of course. Either that, or Francine Bennett is the cover name. Olivia thinks back at the information she found about Francine on her laptop, and remembers that it did seem a little too perfect. Is that the sign of a poor cover story, or an edited version of her real life? She has added another unverified fact to the long list of other speculative information she already has collected since being in Paris. Olivia continues to search online, with every combination of the facts that she can think of, but gets nowhere. It is mid-afternoon before she realises she is hungry and decides to have lunch downstairs. She goes to the restaurant, where the maitre d'hôtel is slightly put out by her arriving outside of what he considers to be normal lunchtime, but she orders crepe mixte and tea anyway. She flicks through her phone. She had forgotten about the handwritten notes that she had photographed that day with Jean-Luc in flat three. There are about twenty images. The first few are of no consequence. Shopping lists, reminders to do certain domestic chores. They didn't seem to link to the two bouncers, but potentially the place belongs to someone else, and they were just staying there for a few days. The next five images show different sketches of the roads around Camille's school, marked up with parking spaces and traffic lights. There is one larger scale drawing of the school environs, 
but with the main boulevards near it, and the one-way system through the narrow back streets in that area of the city. There's a list of addresses next. Jean-Luc's office, Sophie's office, the school, their home address, flat three, and some others on the list that are faint and Olivia cannot read. The gang had done their planning, thinks Olivia. This doesn't look like the first time that they have done a job like this. These are professional criminals that she's dealing with. After other inconsequential pages, the final page is another map. She doesn't recognise it immediately. She inspects the road layout to see if anything jogs a memory, or she has been there. It's not the roads around Flat 3, but it does look similar. Major avenues giving access to rows of tightly packed side streets. One road is marked R.D.G., with a ring of pencil drawn halfway along. Olivia goes back to the image of the addresses and tries to make the faint addresses more readable on the screen. She enlarges them and changes the setting as before with the ill-fated stolen photo. The writing is barely legible. She stares at her phone and brings it up to her face to decipher the writing. A man is standing at her table. He coughs. It's the waiter. Avez-vous fini, madame? She ignores his mocking smile, and he officiously takes her plate away. She returns to the screen. There's something there. Her eyes strain. Rude get. Olivia sits upright, letting her vision refocus, and looks up Rue de Guerre on her phone map. It is in the Clamart area of Paris. Not that far. From flat three. Her mind wants to be excited. Maybe she is inching closer to finding Camille. Or maybe she'll just find more kidnappers. Or even the killers of David Malneath. <laughs>